In this episode of The Whole Testament, Dave and Steph sit down with BJ and Mary Leonard. It's a great conversation about what it looks like to leave behind some of the things the world would value in order to follow God's call in your life. If you have questions, please contact us at thewholetestament at gmail.com. And if you're enjoying listening to The Whole Testament, please like and subscribe at your favorite place to listen to podcasts. We're also counting on you to be our advertiser. So if you would, spend a little time in prayer about who in your life might benefit from listening to these podcasts, and then tell them about us. Thanks for listening. We're excited to record another episode. We're doing uh, the dessert episode for the Eternal Life series. And so if you have not yet listened to the appetizer or the entree, um, they might be helpful, but you can, I mean, this probably be a really good one to just listen. I'm here with Dr. BJ Leonard. <laughs> you probably hate that, don't you? I do, yeah. I, I, I can, I mean, yeah. He just recently got his doctorate in what? Miss- Missions. Missions. Yeah. Which is pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. You wouldn't, if you if you know BJ, you would not ever, he's not an academic kind. He does not, he is, but he doesn't put himself off that way. And so he's very humble, which is why I have him here. And his wife, Mary, who's super amazing. Um, I also have Stephanie. You guys can say hi if you want. Hello. Hi. Hello. And I just hang out with them. Um, as I was going through uh, getting the information on this eternal life, thinking about the the story with the rich young ruler where he's like, how do I have eternal life? And Jesus is like, do the commandments. I'm doing all this. And he said, well, then go sell everything and come follow me. And I was thinking about who is it in my life that I know that has come closest to abandoning the social norms to follow after Jesus. You're, you're laughing. Why are you laughing, Mary? Because <laughs> I, I don't often think of ourselves as abandoning social norms, but I guess I don't know if we were ever we with do. social norms to begin <laughs> yeah, with. Yeah, that's we're a pretty problem. weird people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Makes it easier, yeah. right? Yeah. If um, you're already in the outside, you just stay outside. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, that's good. Well, the people that are in the social norms that look at you, right? That's the beauty of, um, we're, we're talking in another podcast about the people that are making the most, probably the ones making the most impact would never feel like they're doing anything. Like they don't probably feel like they're doing enough or it's not really that big of a deal. So, which is great because it is a big deal, especially for people who have yet to make any real strong moves toward selling anything and following after God. So it is a big deal, and that's why I have you here. So um, why don't we just start with you just telling us a little bit about who you are and um, maybe you're a little bit about your background. Either one of you can go first. Okay, so um, I grew up in a little tiny small uh, farm town in Iowa and uh, grew up as a part of an amazing church there. Um, my home church in, in Logan, Iowa, um, just really discipled people. And because there was so few of us, everyone was involved in church. Everyone was involved in ministry when it was VBS time. 
everybody helped with VBS. When it was time to put together the Thanksgiving baskets, everybody did it. And so I think I was just raised in this culture of, I saw other people who were putting their faith in action. I saw in my parents, uh, my parents were both um, really just sturdy, mature followers of Jesus Christ. And so I had that modeled for me. I went to the same church that my great grandparents went to and they were yeah. you know, strong followers of Jesus. So just this, this legacy of faith, yeah. this legacy of ministry, I had um, cousins and friends that went into ministry, vocational ministry and missionaries. In fact, um, the church there, I think there was a, a span of about 20 or 25 years where every year they graduated high school seniors that eventually went into vocational ministry, either as missionaries, wow. Bible college professors, pastors. Okay. And so just, just this legacy of ministry and faith. And so I had that uh, growing up. Then I came out to um, Lincoln Christian College, which is not really existent as much <laughs> as so, it was. So is your degree still, is that doctorate still count? I hope so, count, so. yeah, <laughs> I hope so, yeah. Uh, we won't tell anybody. Um, but all of that to say, uh, came out with plans to become a youth minister back in the home area, yeah. uh, back in Western Iowa, because that's what I knew. My world was pretty small yeah. uh, back then. And uh, so came out and through a number of different kind of events, ended up getting involved at a local junior high school. And I met kids that were very different than I was. Um, I, I remember a particular uh, lunchroom table and there were boys there and I realized that none of them had, um, all of them were like failing out of school. They weren't doing well in school. They're all getting in trouble. And none of them had uh, dads that were present in the home with mm -hmm. them. They were all just living in chaos and none of them went to church anywhere. And mm -hmm. so I was like, man, you know, what's, what's the deal? And I just started really understanding how blessed I was growing up as a part of a great stable family. And uh, over the course of that year, God continued to just break my heart. And so uh, the following year um, started uh, an at, a ministry, an outreach ministry to at-risk junior high kids, um, okay. which is not like, you know, on the, on the banner you put, you know, at risk. At risk if you're you know, at risk. Yeah, okay. it's just, but once you meet kids, uh -huh. you meet their siblings and their friends and you just, it's so easily kind of to, to move through the social groups there. And so um, started that ministry and um, asked Mary if she would uh, marry me. No, asked her if she would help <laughs> in the ministry. And um, so we did ministry together. It was called Quest and we did that for, uh, we did that for uh, seven years in Lincoln, yeah. and uh, it was great. And it was life changing. Before you were a couple, yeah, yep. yeah. So yeah, we started serving together, and it was really through uh, that ministry that God broke our hearts and opened our eyes to uh, people who are far from Christ, mm -hmm. as well as people who um, are, uh, you could say, disadvantaged or people that are in lower socioeconomic um, levels, uh -huh. um, and. Uh, it was, it was just a really good experience for us. It, it really was uh, formative for us. And I think that's when God was really shaping my heart for missions and my heart to take the message of Jesus to people who are not walking with him. So, yeah. Yeah. And so how about, what, what is your background then? Um, I won't go too much into history. Because um, I did, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but just talking about kind of a legacy of faith, I also grew up with a legacy of faith. Um, 
my dad came from a tradition of Syrian Orthodox. That was his family growing up. And his family had very strong religious ties, but it was all based in tradition and very little in relationship. Uh And so as an adult, he sort of left that culture and became involved on a more meaningful level with faith. And my mom was essentially what somebody would call an outreach kid. She went to church with a friend and that friend picked her up. And um, eventually my mom's mom, so my grandma came to faith. And so my mom was a first generation Christian. Mm -hmm. And so uh, my parents met at Bible college. And very soon after my mom actually dropped out of college, they went to Africa as missionaries. And that is where I was born. So I spent the first part of my childhood in Zambia um, and just got to experience life in a different way, a different sort of reality of living. And right before junior high started, I moved back to the United States and we kind of had several life-changing moves. Um, We lived in Kentucky for a little bit. And then from there, we moved to Los Angeles. Oh, and then from there, we moved back to the Midwest. That's probably harder than from Zambia to yeah. Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. Um, and then I met BJ in college. We volunteered in the same ministry. Mm-hmm. And um, as we dated, like BJ was a youth ministry major and I was a missions major. And we got to a point in our relationship where we were like, is this going to work? Because I did not feel called to be a traditional youth minister's wife. Uh And at that point, BJ did not feel necessarily called to go overseas and do missions work. And just through the years that we dated and the years that we did quests, I think both of us realized like this is where our passions align Hmm. and where God has called us. And, um, BJ realized that he did not want to do traditional ministry and he really wanted to reach out and be with youth that were outside of the walls of the church and help bridge that gap and bring kids in. And then from there, um, they could be a part of the church and a part of the strong families and a part of the youth ministry programs. And obviously we really value youth ministers and the work that people inside the church do. Um, But our heart and passion was being the bridge that helps people from the outside get to that space where those relationships can grow. Um, And then I realized I had a moment of growth. Like, I don't have to do a specific thing. Like, the people that I love are everywhere. And I really love the groups of people that we were working with because Mm -hmm. they were people who were very real and genuine and they had hard questions and they were real about their lives and they weren't just people who had grown up in church. They were people who had hardships and people who Mm -hmm. had struggles and people who wanted to talk and work through those. And so I think that's where kind of our callings mixed. And um, so we served in Lincoln for a while and Then we came to Decatur and Pastor Wayne, the pastor from our church, had a vision for reaching the community. And it was wonderful to be able to come into a church that was so focused on reaching out to the community. Mm -hmm. 
because a lot of churches don't place a lot of emphasis on that or a lot of their budget on that. And so mm-hmm. um, it was just an amazing experience to be able to come to a church that was like, yes, we want to reach out to our community and we're willing to actually pay someone to be on staff to do that. Yeah, and, yep. that, and that went on for a little bit and then you felt... <laughs> Felt another like nudge, right? Yeah. To go take it another step further. Yeah. So when when we came on board initially, uh, First Christian Church was engaged with uh, Parsons Elementary, which is an elementary school across the road. Um, you could probably consider it uh, like an inner city elementary school. A lot of the kids that attend Parsons are from the uh, kind of more. Um, not impoverished, but just kind of more unstable neighborhoods in Decatur. So basically for anybody who's outside of Decatur, kind of a quick history of the city is that Decatur was at one time a really strong uh, blue collar uh, city. And uh, over the course of uh, a couple of decades, uh, the the community began to falter a little bit economically and uh, some of the small towns around Decatur began to grow. And so people moved out of the inner city, the, the center city of Decatur, yep. to, uh, to these smaller, I call them the suburbs of yeah. Decatur. It's, um, <laughs> so, so people moved, yeah. and what they took with them was families and stability. Mm-hmm. And so then- Tax um, dollars. Tax dollars, yeah. yeah. You know? and, so, and it's not just an economic thing, but it really is a, a stability thing. And so as those families left, um, that left a, a vacuum. Mm-hmm. And there, there were difficult years in the, in the 70s and 80s and early 90s for the community. And the school system began to falter a little bit. And so people said, hey, we want to get out. We want to take our kids now. to better schools. Yeah. Yeah. And so as people left, more stable families left, which left more of a vacuum. And then crime began to rise. And so you, you have in the community decatur these kind of waves or the like exodus, you know, waves of exodus of people leaving. And so... The, um, the certain neighborhoods in, in our community got, you could say, worse and worse and worse. And, mm-hmm. and it basically got to the point where anybody who could move out did. Yeah. And so the only people who were still living there were people who were trapped, people who couldn't move out. And there's a whole host of reasons why they couldn't and a whole host of, of uh, solutions to that. And so um, Parsons Elementary became the elementary school for a lot of those families. Mm-hmm. And so uh, FCC said, hey, we want to get involved. Uh, we probably didn't know what we were getting ourselves into, but uh, the church, you know, said, hey, we want to get Let's involved. Started after a school program um, that, uh, that I began to lead uh, 12 years ago and continue to lead uh, today. And um, so it was cool because these kids are coming to our building. Yeah. We are helping with math and reading. We're talking about Jesus. We're, we're praying with, this, with the kids. We're giving them one-on-one attention, which is great. And uh, we had these family night meals where families from Parsons, from, from Club 305, could come to uh, our building and have a, a dinner. And I thought, hey, this is great. These families mm-hmm. are coming to us. And then one night, um, I remember thinking, it's cool that they're coming to us, but what would it look like for us to go to where the families live? Mm-hmm. What would it look like for us to, to be present there? To take the message of Jesus to them instead of just asking people to come to us to receive the message. Right. right. Um, and so... We kind of cooked up this crazy idea that the church would adopt a neighborhood, um, Uh a part of the GM Square neighborhood here in Decatur, and proposed it to the elders. And for one reason or another, 
probably the Holy Spirit. They said, yes, let's do it. <laughs> and so, uh, so the church began to invest in uh, the GM Square neighborhood. We call it the block, um, yep. which we learned later is actually, it was called the block before we called it the block. Oh. Um, so that's, that's kind of cool. Um, and so we began to do ministry there. And I think it took about 14 minutes after we made that announcement for Mary to say, let's move to the block. So she was ready. I was not ready. I really liked our old house. I really yeah. liked our old neighborhood. Can kind of get away. Yep, can kind of get like, away. You can leave church and yep. just go home. And it was, it was a good setup and a good place to raise kids and a nice chain link fence and a nice yes. backyard. And it was quiet and all the stuff that, you know, yeah. people value. And so... Um, we prayed about it. I prayed about it. And over time, God um, turned so, my heart and aligned my heart with Mary's. And so we made It's the, usually our wives, right? Yeah, it is. It is. They, they hear first. from God first. Yeah. Yep. And so we said, okay, we'll move to the block as long as we don't have to live on Church Street. That was me. I was like, <laughs> I really don't want to live on North Church Street. Yeah. Anywhere but North Church yeah, Street. Because at the time, North Church Street was, I mean, they used to call it... Um, they used to call it Bullet Alley. Yeah. I mean, it was a lot, of, a lot of gunshots, a lot of violence up and down Church Street. And so God gave us a church, a, a, said, church, a house yeah. on Church Street. Yep. He's like, if you want to live, sell everything you have and come follow me, huh? Yeah. In, in so, many, so many terms, basically. Yeah. That's what he was saying to you. Yep. And so we did. We moved our family in. A lot of people thought we were crazy. So what does your family look like? Because I don't think we covered that. Yeah, so go ahead. You can introduce our family, Mary. So there's BJ and I, and then we have four kids. We have Hannah. She's 10. And then we have a set of twins, Lydia and Mia. They're eight. And then we have a little guy, Dominic. He's five. He's not that little. He's not a little guy. (laughs) He's not little. (laughs) He's a tank. Uh, Yes. And uh, our last little guy, Dominic, he's adopted. Um, He was in foster care. All right. We are blessed to have been able to... Include him in our family forever. Nice. Yep. So you've got, at the time, before you, when you were thinking about moving in, you have basically three very small girls. Yep. The twins were, let me think about this. I think they were three. They were three. Yeah, when we moved in. So not only do you have to. Actually, they were two when we moved in, technically. They were two for a couple months and then we moved in. You have to leave your comfortable house in the backyard that they can yep. just run around in and which we would have had that house paid off um a couple <laughs> months ago as well just, we just oh it would have been yeah. <laughs> yeah minor details minor details <laughs> yeah it was it was it was tough i mean and you got a lot put, of economic stability in that house yeah. and a lot of safety yep security. social stability you could have ministered to all your neighbors yep I think one of the things that's funny, though, is that we didn't really know what we were doing, and maybe that is God at work. Like, you just have to be a little blind. Um, I remember the first time there was a shooting, I thought, what's that noise? And I opened the door and looked out, and all of my neighbors were ducking behind cars, (laughs) running into buildings, and I was like, oh. That's Um, what that sounds like. That's what that is. (laughs) Sometimes... Not really knowing everything that's around you is just, you can just trust God because 
the longer we're there, the more that I realize this happening around me. And I thought if I had known all of this when we moved in, that might have made me <laughs> a little more worried about moving in. Um, and yet I can look back and just see how God was faithful in the midst of all that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And sometimes taking a step of faith doesn't mean you know all the things or you understand all the risks. But when you look back, you can realize that despite all the risk you didn't even know existed, God has been faithful and that can carry you into the future of taking new risks and yeah. stepping out in faith. Yeah, and I, I would say for us probably, one of the things that we kept focusing on um, as we were making the decision to move to the block and even to do foster care and uh, you know to adopt and just a number of things is we, we really wanted to focus on obedience we didn't necessarily have knowledge. We didn't really know what we were doing. We didn't know where we were going, but we knew that God was calling us to go. And we just wanted mm-hmm. to be obedient to that. And it's so interesting because, you know, Stephanie's here and, and I think about, you know, the other staff members at the church. And we have so many people who are so gifted, so talented. I mean, we have great speakers, great leaders, um, people who are way, way, way more smooth than I am, <laughs> definitely. And I was like, God, what's, what's my spiritual gift? And I, I just kind of kept thinking, it's the gift of obedience. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, we're just going to do what God asks us to do or calls us to do and try to lean into that. And obedience is success. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, move into the block. We, we finally have gotten things going with a Bible study. We actually had it last evening and it was so exciting. It's so great to see people come into faith. Mm-hmm. But we've been there for six years, Yeah, you know? We're just now seeing fruit from um, seeds that we planted six years ago. And so if we were just focusing on success, we probably would have given up a long time ago. If we felt like we had to know everything before we moved in, we probably wouldn't have moved in. But it was like God was saying, just move in, be obedient, be faithful. Don't worry about success. Don't worry about what other people think and just be faithful to what I've called you to. And so obedience is success. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us that we need to understand God or his will. The Bible says, worship God hmm. and hold him above everything else. So what's been the hardest part? I can answer for me. I think just the loss of my children experiencing parts of their childhood that I just assumed would be there. Like, Sometimes my kids are afraid to go outside and play. And they're to an age now where they could go outside and play on their own or run the neighborhood or, you know, ride their bikes up and down the street. Um, But that's not a part of our current lives. Like we do play outside and we have friends in the neighborhood, but often our kids want an adult out there with them. And I think for me, that's, I sort of grieve that. Like that's been the hardest thing is that they don't have a sort of typical maybe suburban childhood. And they do have a great childhood, Mm -hmm. but it's different than what I had anticipated. Um, But for them, I also have to look at it through the lens of, like, this is the childhood that they know, so they don't grieve that. It's just the norm for them. And I think just in general, what childhood is like is different today than it was when we were children because the world is a different place. And so... Street lights come on is no longer the yeah yeah for kids across America. It's not just my kids that are living a different childhood. Yep. 
I would say also, um, in addition to that, because I would say probably that's, that's my number one loss. What I'm, what I'm wanting the most is just that our kids, our kids have experienced something very different than what we did as kids, but also maybe what we expected, what we hoped for them in terms of schooling and friendships and safety. You know, it was a couple, couple weeks ago, um, a kid set off fireworks in our backyard uh-huh. And Dominic came running into the house, and he was crying. He was just so sad um, because and scared because he thought that that somebody had a gun. Uh-huh. Well, um, actually, they, it was a set of older kids, and they were saying, "We have a gun!" And then they set off the uh, fireworks. And so, in his five-year-old mind, he was like, "Yeah, they do have a gun." Yeah. but it and, was they were just messing around and just the conversations that we have with that we were forced to have with our kids i mean we had to say if you hear a gun if you're close to the house and you hear gunshots run in but if you're far away just lay down and so you know then people were having company over for dinner and you know our 4 year old is explaining to them if we're outside playing and you hear gunshots lay down if, <laughs> if they're like what in the world you know what are you training so um, oh but that's i would also fu- say not funny I would also say that for us, probably what I mourn the most is living in the neighborhood where we live and doing the ministry that we do, we have a front row seat to the true brokenness mm-hmm. and just pain that people live. I mean, we've had so many times where people, people pound on our door in the middle of the night, you know, women saying, I don't want to live this way anymore. I've got these guys chasing me. I'm addicted to this. I just, I just got done with a guy, and I never want to do this again. Or we had a, a young man that lives across our backyard. He saw his mom get beat up and drug into a car and drove away. He huh? chased the car and tried to stop oh, um, his mom's boyfriend, but he couldn't. He, he came to our house. I was, I was in the driveway, and he just he could hardly even breathe because he was crying so hard. And just we see that. We're just confronted with just the, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that, you know, in the suburbs or in other places that there's not sin. There's definitely sin. People are just better at hiding it. Mm-hmm. But it's just the sin is right in front of us. Yeah. And our kids see that. Our kids see that. And we see that. And it's just, it's, it's unsettling. It feels like we're always off balance. You know, yeah. we're always kind of getting the wind knocked out of us. But I am blind to the need right in front of me Help me remember life grows from the ashes Open my eyes to see clearly Lord, I am asking you why I'm willing Lord, won't you please help me do what you're Courage, I know you can help me. Am I ready? I don't know. Am I ready? You seem to think so. So let's go. Let's sit out and change the world. One of the things that I believe is that we are called to not just uh, minister to people, but to be present with them. Because if it's almost like I I don't know if this is in the Bible somewhere, but it's almost like we are, I'm sorry, 
It's like we are crying the tears that Jesus would be crying if he was with the people, you know, because we, we read in scripture that, you know, when Jesus saw how sad the people were when Lazarus died, that he wept. Mm-hmm. He, knew, he knew what was going to happen, but he wept with the people mm-hmm. because they were so sad. We see, you know, Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem because the people were like sheep without a shepherd. They were just there. Somebody needs to gather them mm-hmm. and care for them and love them and be present with them in that brokenness. And so in some ways, it's almost like part of Mary and I's calling is to be with people, to be sad mm-hmm. with them, to be sad for them, to care. Yeah. Now, you know, that's... weren't. I, I I don't know where that fits in like the, you know, Romans road or the, you know, steps to yeah. evangelizing people, but it's like, man, just being present with people mm-hmm. in the, in the hurt is like, we're bringing the presence to God, the presence of God into those situations. Yeah. 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 I think we often are just present and for us, it's been life changing just to bear witness and, these are the people that all of us run into every day. We just see them in a different light. I mean, our neighbors are the people who are the dishwashers at Olive Garden or they change your oil at Speed Lube um, or they work at Subway. And so we all have interactions with the same group of people on a daily basis. But instead of seeing them in their work setting, we're seeing them in their home settings and sometimes we're just bearing witness to the brokenness. And for some people, they really do want a change. Um, For some people, it's that my last five minutes. And for other people, it's been a longer, like they come every week um, to a gathering that we have at our house and they're studying the Bible and they're growing and changing. And then there's a whole group of people that really have no interest in faith and that it's hard to it's sad to watch and hard to watch because we want more for them but i think just being present it's been able we've been able to see sometimes small changes in people over the years and that's been encouraging yeah and i think it's important to say when i talk about the people that maybe are working at subway and then we're also talking about hard lives or broken family relationships. I don't want to equate poverty and spiritual brokenness. There are people who are in poverty or who have a low income who are faithful, godly people. And so those are not the same. Um, I think what we're talking about is the families who are living in poverty who also who also have very broken and strained relationships with each other and addictions and many of the other things that cause family breakdown. So I just want to be clear about that. Our goal is not to get people a better job or get them out of the block. Or I think sometimes we make uh, the American dream synonymous with becoming a follower of Jesus Mm. Christ. And that's not the case. If we have kids in our neighborhood that they grow up and they um, love the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, strength, they Mm -hmm. walk with him all the days of their life, but they never graduate beyond working at Kroger, bagging groceries, but they have 
healthy relationships with the other mm-hmm. people in their family, and they lead their kids to grow up to know and love and serve the Lord, that's a win for us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a win for us. If we, if we reach out to you know, a family and uh, we identify that you know, this boy has this great athletic ability and he gets out of the block and he gets out of Decatur and he, gets, he makes it big time you know, and makes a couple million dollars, but he's not a follower of Jesus... Yeah. He can still have toxic relationships, but just do so with a big bank account. Yeah. So our goal is not to suburbanize people. Our goal is not to make move people up the ladder from being so lower class to middle to upper mm-hmm. class. Our goal is how can Christ redeem our neighborhood? How can Christ redeem families? No matter what the economic yeah. outcome is. Right here and right now in the setting that they're in. So how how would you speak to somebody who's listening and is like, oh man, I should be doing something? Um, and they're listening to this, and the next the next dessert is going to be just as crazy because we're talking with the Ramos, and so we're going to have these episodes where people are listening and being challenged to get beyond just the traditional. I believe, and I go to church. And I just live my life separate from that. So somebody's feeling like the move of the spirit. What do you What do you say to them? So we see our place in our neighborhood as a, a doorway, as a bridge. Not everybody needs a bridge. If you, it, not everybody needs to be a bridge. If you've got one side of the river and you've got the other side of the river, you don't need. 50 bridges across the river. Hmm. There's already a bridge there. And so what we would love more than anything else is for the people in our community to say, you guys already live in the neighborhood. You know someone. Help us meet that person and get to know them. Hmm. So a great opportunity that I have to brag on on our two hosts today is we had a, a family that lived down the street from us and there was a young lady, a young mom and her son, and they wanted to go to church. And our van's already full. Um, and so we reached out to the Campbells and said, hey, would you guys be willing to help? And you guys brought Anna and Lewis to church. Yeah. And now we take Dominic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another kid that lives in our neighborhood, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so it's just, it's it's We do have those a lot things. of seats in our van. Do you hear from Anna? Sometimes. She'll sit <laughs> Actually, her aunt um, comes to community table. Does she really? Yeah. So She's growing. And really? leaps and bounds. Oh, she yeah, shared her testimony amazing. last night around the table. So powerful. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So all that to say, it's it's just get involved. You don't have to change the whole neighborhood, but you can get to know and love one person, one family. You can mm-hmm. ride the roller coaster with them through the instability and the chaos, and that makes a difference. Yeah. It makes a difference. And one of the things that we that we feel is, you know, I'm going to take a little bit of liberty with, uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 3, where, where uh, Paul says, you know, some plant, others water, mm-hmm. God causes the growth. I think in some ways our ministry is uh, the ministry of the jackhammer. We feel like we are jackhammering up a couple of inches or feet of concrete mm-hmm. so that maybe someone else can plant a seed down the road. So some people prepare the soil. Yeah. Others plant Others water. God causes the growth. And we just want to be obedient to what God's called mm-hmm. us to. So BJ kind of answered the question, like, if you're in Decatur, what's your next step? But if you're not in Decatur, right. um, 
I think, first of all, I would just encourage you to pray and just ask God to show you someone because we all see these people every day. Mm-hmm. We just don't really see these people. Yeah, your kids go to school with these with the kids of these families, guaranteed. Yes. So I think finding the bridges that already exist in your community, and BJ just mentioned school. I mean, ask a teacher. Obviously, they have um, certain rules they have to follow. But volunteering in your child's classroom, asking a teacher, like, is there a child that if they had needs um, that we could help meet, like maybe they need clothes or food, and beginning a relationship with that child and that child's family, or um, participating in your city's sports leagues, or just being intentional with the things that you already do. Like you already grocery shop every week or you already eat out, but being intentional about going to the same stores or the same restaurants and starting to see people and just developing a relationship. And it's interesting because in middle-class world, you don't typically, um, you might not see someone like at a working space and be like, hey, let's have a friendship outside of this space. Um, maybe the person at your bank or whoever. But in other settings, I think it's amazing how God opens the doors for relationships with people that you see on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, Say so you go to Culver's every week. You just make it a family ice cream night and you go every week and you start to see the same person working and you start to just, hey, like, what's your name? And how long have you worked here? And suddenly a friendship is blossoming and suddenly you're seeing them outside of Culver's or they have your number or once in a while you're giving them a ride to work. And Stephanie's really good at that uh, Culver's thing. <laughs> I like to go out to eat. <laughs> I think that's great. Like, I don't but know. But it's true. There are three you different women people. from Culver's. One, we took to Springfield for something. You were involved with her. Mm-hmm. She's not there anymore. But no. the others, it's like they they ask questions and are very much more involved than people in our lives that you would think would That's be more the involved. Thing. I think when you like when you care for people intentionally, um, they become better friends than like the people you would expect to be good friends. Do you know what I mean? Like they. They care they, for you. They care yeah. because they feel that you care for them. Living in the block and has so, taught us a lot about friendship. Yeah. So there's people who friendship. have literally never had a good friend who has set boundaries but has also been loving through the ups and downs. And so I think when you – I think the people are there and your willingness can be there and asking God to align those and Often it's not doing more than you're already doing. It's just doing what you're doing with purpose and with intentionality. Yeah. And I would say as well, once you begin to do that, your eyes get opened to the people around you. And especially once your eyes are open to people who are in need, you can never close them again. That's, that, that's the disclaimer. That's the warning. Once your eyes are open to people in chaos or uh, hurting relationships, you can't close them anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it was interesting. I talked about uh, growing up in Logan, Iowa. After we had done Quest for a while, we went back to my hometown, Logan, which I thought was, you know, perfect. 
Uh-huh. And suddenly, Mary and I are meeting, you know, this family with these girls, these sisters, and they're in foster care. And Mary's helping them, you know, get swimsuits so that they can go to the public pool. And it's just, and and so in doing so, our lives are different now. We see the world differently. And I'd also say that you can do more probably than you think that you can. Mm. In that, intentionality, care, compassion for others really goes a long ways with people. And something I said earlier was we learned a lot about friendship in the block it's because the people in, in our neighborhood taught us about friendship. They taught us about what it means to uh, walk across the street and sit on someone's front porch and talk for a while. They taught us about sharing food and, and um, kids playing together. And um, we're way, way closer to our neighbors. We have way better neighbors now than we ever did in our old neighborhood. I'll just throw this out. Come come visit us or come visit Decatur or visit somewhere. If you're in your own community or in your own state and you don't know how to get involved, we would be happy to help you connect somewhere locally and maybe visit somewhere close by that you can connect with people who are already doing things and we haven't explicitly said this, um, but we're transitioning away from the block and we're moving to Kenya, hopefully, Lord willing, in the next year or so. And come visit us there. I think no matter where you are, there's people that God has. And so I think it can be encouraging and maybe a chance to get away and see what God is calling you to. Um, and just a chance to go back to your own community and see people with new eyes. I know for several of the people that have been on short-term trips to Kenya, they come back to their home communities and they see people differently. Um, so yeah, we just would, because the trip ends doesn't mean the mission ends. So come visit. We want to help you see people in your own communities because there's people everywhere. I think that's a misconception within our American, like you're talking about the American dream, but that it doesn't exist around us because we can easily shut it out. You know, it's not as visible if we live in a place that's not like right right in the midst of it where you guys are. It's it's easy. Francis Chan talks about it. We can intentionally just avoid it all because we're pursuing the American dream, the the happiness within our family and we think that that's what life is about rather than fulfilling bringing about God's kingdom um so but I just think we we miss out when we try to shut it out but it's right here like it's just it's right here it's all around us we just have to open our eyes to see it and relationships are two-way I think sometimes we've maybe as a whole feel like, oh, we have a lot to offer because we have a stable family and we have financial assets or all of these things. And then in the end, you realize like people are just people and we all have things that we need and we all have things that we can give. And seeing people with those eyes of you're not a project, you're a person. Yeah, the, the people in our neighborhood, none of them are projects. They're our friends. They're friends. And there's a give and take. Mm-hmm. Like, I can give you a ride to Springfield, but 
you like really want to know how my kids are. Or you remember these details about my life. Or you, I mean, a lot of our neighbors are incredibly talented at fixing things because they don't have the financial resources to have people repair their cars or something. And so one of my neighbors, she's like out repairing her car. And she's like, I'm just watching YouTube videos. I'm going to make this work. And I love it because they know how to do things that I certainly don't know how to do. And I think there's a lot of give and take. And that's the way relationships should be. They're very off balance if it's only one-sided giving. And that feels really bad for the person who's only receiving. Yeah, because one of the things that we want to do is instill dignity in people. And by by having good friendships, mm-hmm. we are affirming the dignity that they can be a good friend to us, we can be a good friend to them. And people are looking for friendship. I mean, people are looking for what we have as Christians. And so just living out our faith uh, the way that we parent our kids, the way that we play catch in the backyard, the way that we, you know, mow our yard, the way the the way that we live is in itself a light to others. Um, you know, there are a lot of times where we're outside playing with our kids, and I'm like, "Am I wearing the pastor hat right now? Am I wearing the dad hat right now? Am I wearing the?" Uh, neighbor hat right now? Am I wearing the, you know, missionary to the block hat? Or am I just, this is just life. I mean, this is, they'll, they'll mm-hmm. know we're Christians by our love, by the way that we love our kids, the way we love one another. And so we're modeling marriage and we're having kids and families over for dinner and we're going to dinner at other people's places. I remember it was one or two Christmases after we moved in, one of our neighbors had us over on Christmas and they gave us hundreds of dollars worth of Christmas gifts. We, and we were like... We had somebody do that. What? We invited a lady who doesn't really... Her family doesn't really accept her. And she came over, and it wasn't just our family. It was like Stephanie's family. It was like her family Christmas. We invited her over, and she had a gift for every person that was going to be there. And a very thoughtful gift. Very, very, very thoughtful. thoughtful. Yeah. And it's like... <laughs> She's a way better gift giver than me. <laughs> I'm just shocked. I was shocked. I was, and I yeah. like, they think that. It's humbling. It's, it's so humbling, humbling because you think, oh, we're doing this thing and it, God blesses you in yeah. return more than, like, in ways you just wouldn't even expect. Yeah. Yeah. And it's in yes. those <laughs> friendships, it's in those relationships that we see the kingdom of God. You know, two of my favorite photos um, of our of our time there. One is uh, there's an old an older gentleman, and he's reaching over the fence, shaking Hannah's hand, and Hannah is reaching uh-huh. up, shaking his hand. Um, I love that photo. And the other one is uh, our neighbor Akila sitting on the couch doing Mia's hair. And uh, I remember we were trying to do trying to do Mia's hair. You know, we're her uh-huh. parents. We should probably do that. And uh, Akilah was like, oh, let me try. And Akilah did this amazing <laughs> hairstyle. It was so cool. And uh, I just thought, man, this is cool, you know, that we don't want to shut Akilah down and say, no, you can't do her hair. No, you can't give the kids birthday presents. Um, it's, it's, in, it's in relationship that we can model our relationship with God. Yeah. yeah. I have a hard time receiving, especially if I'm like someone, if I think like, oh, you you know, 
I don't want you to spend your money on us or I don't want you to have to give you up your time for this or for that. And I think one of the things that God has taught me over the past few years is just receive with open hands. Like it's a blessing to be able to give, but it's a blessing to be able to receive and the relationships go deeper and are stronger. If I can receive something with open hands And I think those are the times that I've been so humbled and broken, but broken in a good way that somebody loves me back on that deep level. Mm -hmm. And I think it's been beautiful to watch relationships of give and take. Yeah. And so to go back to your question a little bit, Dave, you know, what can people do? How can they get engaged? I would say, or we would say, no matter what you do, it's worth it. It's worth it. Like we look back and we think about moving to the neighborhood. We think about foster care. We think about, you know, all of those things. And man, it was worth it. It's been so difficult. Doing foster care is not happy at all. There are some really happy moments. But there's joy. (laughs) I would say that, that there's joy. There's joy in the midst of that. And it's worth it, you know? One of the things that I like to do is, um, because, you know, when, when you read stories in the Bible, it's not in a vacuum. Like the rich young ruler who came to Jesus, he had this whole life, mm-hmm. you know, before him. And, you know, you imagine, man, what did he have to do to be rich and a ruler at a young age? Mm. Like he must have been a hot shot. He must have been really, really talented. Probably Quite- had his doctorate. Probably had his doctorate. Yeah, <laughs> probably, probably you know climbed the ladder kidding. fast, or maybe maybe was born on a pretty high rung and, and climbed the ladder. And so, yeah, he wasn't just rich; he was a young ruler. He had already achieved so much up to that point. And then we have to think about his life after yeah. that moment, you hmm. know. And sometimes I put myself in his shoes, and I think, man, if I had everything. And then Jesus came to me, this guy that's walking around with dusty feet and was like, hey, sell everything you have and follow me. Would I have done it? I hope so. Hmm. Because how cool would have been for the rich young ruler to be there on the mountaintop when Jesus ascended to heaven? How cool would have been for him to be in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came or to be a part of the start of the church, to be there on the day of Pentecost? I would give anything to be there, to be a part of the start of the church. And I just think, man, was it worth it for him to hold on to his wealth? I, I, I don't want to get to the end of my life or our lives and say, yeah. man, we held on to this. Was it worth it? Yeah. Or was it worth it to let go, to be open-handed and say, God, everything that we have is, is yours in the first place. Everything we have is just a temporary loan from you anyway. And, it, and the purpose of it is to give you glory. And so it's like, man, what... What can we do? How can we live our lives with eternity in mind, knowing that eternity doesn't start later? Eternity is now. This is the start of eternity. So how can we, how can we live with an eternal perspective and not a 401k perspective? Mm-hmm. Not a, I'm going to save and retire for this season of my life perspective. Yeah. We don't have to go. It's funny because when people talk about this stuff, like when I was young, my my thoughts were always like, "Oh no, the Lord's gonna send me to Kenya. Africa. I'm gonna have to go." You th- you would just think I have to go far away, but you don't have to go far away. You don't. Not at all. You, you just know, have to go all where He calls you. you. 
yep. which might be far away. And if it is where he calls you, then it's going to be worth it. Yep. Jesus said, I came so you could have life and life to the fullest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that fullest is in becoming like Christ, surrendering our lives so that we can become more like Christ. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I, for anybody listening, please don't think that Mary and I have like a, a 1,000 batting average, that we're awesome, that we've never been. Uh, I look back and there are seasons where I held tightly to the things of this world. There are times where I held tightly to my, my ego or, or bitterness or what I was trying to achieve. I was trying to build my kingdom instead of God's kingdom. And as I look back, I regret those seasons deeply. I yeah. think, man, what could God have done through us if I hadn't been so foolish during those times? Yeah. But the times of life that I look back and that bring me the greatest joy were the times when we were the most open-handed. Um, so I, we mentioned earlier that we do foster care, and I started my doctoral program on a Monday, and Mary announced to me on Tuesday <laughs> that we were going to be fostering a set of twins that were the same age as the twins that we already had. So there was a season where we had four six-year-olds oh, man. and an eight-year-old. It was insanity. Taking the kids <laughs> to school, I would, uh, the van doors would open and backpacks and winter coats and everything would just pile out. And uh, we hardly slept and it was crazy and our house was a disaster. But I look back at that season, I think, man, we, we were living it. Like we, <laughs> we, were, we were living life to the fullest during that season. Because suddenly we had these two children who were in our home, we're praying with them at night, we're, we're teaching them the Bible, we're taking them to church. They loved it. We loved it. And it was so good for our other kids. Foster care has taught our, our three biological children that the world is not and life is not all about them. Mm-hmm. And to say a little bit about our transition to Kenya, um, we are not in any way leaving because we are discontent in the block or in Decatur. We love Decatur. We love First Christian Church. We love the block more than ever before. Um, And we are confident that God is raising up a generation of leaders, maybe young Dominic or others, indigenous uh, leaders Mm -hmm. from the neighborhood who will carry on the ministry. Mm -hmm. God was in the block a long time before we were. He's going to be there a long time after we Mm -hmm. leave. God's just calling us right now very, very specifically to, uh, to go to Kenya and to do uh, his work there to join with what he's already been doing, mm-hmm. and the ministry indicator and in the block will continue, um, and we believe that it will get even better. We might be the barrier to the next level of mm. uh, ministry effectiveness in the block, and so we're ready to step out of the way and let God keep working. Yeah, there's already a strong partnership between a church and a neighborhood, and that will continue because we aren't needed for that to continue. All right, well, so I'm just going to pray to close this out. I'll pray for you guys, pray for our listeners, pray for Stephanie and I to really be able to absorb all of this. And obey. (laughs) Yeah. Whatever it Um, is. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to sit down with BJ and Mary. I'm really just thank you, God, for the opportunity you're giving me to sit. And even though it's because we got these microphones in front of us, but to have these conversations, mm-hmm. it's really been encouraging to me. And I thank you, God, for the opportunity. And I pray that you would continue just to speak to me and to teach me more about 
like BJ said, about obedience and to be able to listen and hear what it is you're calling me to. I thank you, God, for BJ and Mary and what a beacon of light they have been since even before they were married and all the way through, God, how you were just using their relationship, using their marriage to really um, shine your light into dark places. And I just pray, God, that you would continue to bless their family. I pray that you would continue to put your hedge of protection around them, that you would help them raise up these children to be mighty warriors for your kingdom. I pray, God, that you would go before them in the ministry in Kenya, that you would begin to open doors, that you would provide the necessary means, that you would just, which we already know you're going to because you've called them. So I just pray, God, that uh, you would help them to just walk in that and um, help us who are here at FCC, who are probably going to feel a great loss in this. Um, I pray, God, that you would bring the Joshua's that are going to rise up, the people that are going to come up and follow after BJ and Mary and fill um, a significant hole in the way that we reach the community. I just pray, God, that you would just also be with anybody who's listening, that they would be able to hear your voice clearly and that you would not allow the enemy to whisper into their hearts Mm -hmm. fear or um, doubt or worry, God, but that you would allow us, each and every one of us, to follow you with wholehearted obedience so that we won't have those moments where we sit back and go, man, I wonder what would have happened if. But I pray, God, that you would just be with us and lead us and guide us and show us the power of what it means to have eternity now, to live our lives as if we are already there in a kingdom mindset, in a heaven mindset, as we walk through this life, leading us into what you have in the future. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Dave. Hey, real quick. Uh, if anybody's interested in learning more about the exciting things happening in Kenya, they can go to www.cmfi.org. That's uh, CMF International Christian Missionary Fellowship. Uh-huh. Cool, cool things happening in uh, Kenya. Churches being planted all over the place. Uh-huh. Uh, new uh, disciples coming to faith um, who are equipped already to make more disciples. So all right. we're, we're jumping on board and uh, we're excited about what God's doing there. And if they wanted to be a partner with you, can they do that there too? CMFI.org. All right. All right. BJ Mary Leonard. Thank Thank you you guys so much. Yeah, thanks. And thank you everybody for listening. God bless you. If you would like more information on how to help support BJ and Mary on their mission to Kenya, you can find the link on our website thewholetestament.com under the Eternal Life Dessert Show Notes. You can also send us an email if you'd like to come see what they are doing currently here in Decatur. Our next series is entitled Collision of Heaven and Earth. In our next appetizer episode, Dave will be looking at the calling of Nathaniel in the book of John and the original Stairway to Heaven long before Led Zeppelin. Don't miss it, and don't forget to spread the word about the whole testament if you're enjoying it. If you don't like it, then tell all your friends about it anyway.